Good morning. I absolutely love Easter Sunday. And what a beautiful day. When the weather's nice, I like it even more. <laughs> it is so good to be with you. Such a good thing to get together and celebrate the good news. I want you to imagine you're at work or uh, at school if you're a student or some other place where you hang out, there's other people around, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, did you hear the good news? Uh, how do you think you'd respond? I, I'm guessing most of us would probably say something like, what good news? Um, you'd probably be interested. I think most of us like to hear good news, but you would want to know, well, what good news are they talking about? Did we all get a raise? Um, did the principal abolish final exams? Did somebody discover a cure for cancer? Or, here's a real long shot, have our politicians accomplished something we can all agree on? <laughs> and there's lots of good news we'd be happy to hear about. And so if somebody asked, well, did you hear the good news? We'd want to know, well, which good news are you referring to? Well, what if they then said, no, no, you know, the good news. You'd be kind of puzzled. Well, what news is such good news that you can just call it the good news and I'd know what you're talking about? Did you know that is exactly what the first followers of Jesus called the message about him? Just simply the good news. Now, you may know that or have heard that without realizing you've heard it. The word gospel You've heard that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That literally means, gospel is an older English word that just means good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ means the good news about him. And the writers of the New Testament, they sometimes called it God's good news. Sometimes they called it the good news of Christ. But a lot of times, many times, they just called it the good news. Like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, the good news, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And it's if he's saying... This good news is such good news that we should just call it the good news because all other good news is just some good news compared to this good news. I think if Paul and the other Christians, first Christians, were alive today, they might very well have called it the best news ever. And that's what I think it is. And maybe you agree with me and, and that's why you're here today. It's the best news ever. But maybe not. You know, maybe you're not convinced. Maybe the best news ever sounds like, I don't know, an overstatement. You know, the best news ever, really? I mean, that's quite a, quite a claim. Why would you say that? What makes you think that? I would love to tell you. I really would. So we're gonna, I'm going to have you look with me at the book of 1 Corinthians in our New Testaments 
chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, um, there's a note sheet in your folder if you want to pull that out. That's got the passage on it, or you can grab one of the Bibles that's in front of you, or if you have an app, uh, look there. 1 Corinthians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Jesus, a church, in a place called Corinth. And here in chapter 15, he talks about the good news of Jesus in such a way that he highlights some reasons why it is the best news ever. Best news you could ever hear. And, you know, if you already believe that, then I'm hoping these reasons will just encourage you, deepen your celebration of Easter. And if you don't already believe it's the best news ever, well, I'm hoping that these reasons can maybe be an opportunity for you to consider changing your mind. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, begin at verse 1, down to verse 8. Paul says, now I make known to you, or I remind you, brothers, he's talking to fellow believers in Jesus, they considered themselves family, brothers and sisters in Christ. I make known to you, brothers, the good news which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain until now. He means some have, uh, are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. By the way, Paul wrote this about 20 years after the events. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So, Reasons why the message about Jesus is the best news ever. First reason, because it's good news, not good advice. It's good news, it's not good advice, and there is a significant difference. Let me give you a couple of examples. If I say, you should eat five servings of vegetables every day for good health, is that good news or good advice? That's good advice. Yeah, do that. How about this? Your latest scan shows no evidence of disease. Good news, good advice? Good news. Good news. How about this? Get the oil changed in your car every six months or 6,000 miles. Good news, good advice? That's good advice. Congratulations, your car passed its emissions test. <laughs> Good news. Good news. Save some money there. Be sure to file your tax return on time to avoid penalties. Good advice. Hey, this year you qualify for a tax refund. 
Good news. All right, generally speaking, which is better, good news or good advice? Good news. Because good news means that something good has happened. Good advice is only good if you apply it, if you can apply it. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes something good needs to happen, but you can't make it happen. And all the good advice in the world won't help you. About 19 years ago, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that's a type of cancer in which uh, certain white blood cells go renegade. And it's fatal if not treated. That was bad news. But the good news was that researchers had developed a therapy that destroys the malignant white blood cells. That's something I could not have done. See, if somebody had told me, you know, Scott, what you need to do is you need to develop a monoclonal antibody therapy that will eliminate the cancerous cells from your body, that would have been 100% accurate and 100% useless. Because I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't have the ability to do that. I needed good news, not good advice. And I got it. I got it. Now, take that same reality and apply it to the spiritual dimension of life, okay? In terms of God and us and how we relate to him. So imagine that all of the faiths, all of the religions, all of the spiritual teachings and philosophies of the world are out, laid out before you, spread out in kind of a, a cafeteria of spirituality. What are your choices? Well, by far and away, most of what you're going to find is good advice. Do this to gain wisdom. Do this to overcome hardship. Do this to gain enlightenment. Do this to become a better person. Now, I'm not saying that's all bad, but I'm saying it's mainly advice about what you have to do. That's not what the message of Jesus is. Now, to be sure, Jesus taught us many things that we could label good advice. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your enemies. Forgive those who mistreat you. But see, none of those things, none of those things is the core. None of those things is the heart of the message. Because the core of the message of Jesus is good news, not good advice. In other words, it's, it tells us about something Jesus did, not something that we could not do for ourselves. And Paul says, so look at what he says. He says, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Here's the good news that I proclaim to you, that you received, that you believed, and this saves you if you really believe it. Here it is. Christ died for our sins. And then he was buried. 
and then Christ was raised from the dead, and he was seen. Now, where in that message, Paul says, this is it, this is the good news. Where in that message is the good advice? Do you see it? No, you don't, because there isn't any. There's not one word about what you must do, what I must do. It's all about what Jesus did for us. And what he did is absolutely life-changing, life-giving. Just like that monoclonal antibody therapy that eradicated non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from my body and gave my body new life. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Just like those cancer researchers did something for me that I could not have done for myself, Jesus did something for you and for me that we could not do for ourselves. And when you begin to grasp that, when you begin to get it, you start to understand why this good news is such good news. Such good news. Now, there's definitely a place for good advice. So I'm not saying good advice is bad. As we're going to see, because the message of Jesus is good news, that is, because he did something for us that we can't do for ourselves, well, then now we can respond to that good news. And I would encourage us all to respond to this. So that's good advice, but, but, because then then we can experience something amazing that we would not otherwise experience. But it's so important that we don't confuse responding to the good news with the good news itself. If you tamper with the good news and change it into good advice, it's no longer good news. It's no longer good news. If you change this message, you lose it. You lose it. And you know what? People do that. People have done that. They've done that with the good news of Jesus. Instead of holding on to, instead of receiving, instead of welcoming, instead of embracing this good news about Jesus, they change it. And they create lists of stuff for you to do and for me to do in order to make ourselves right with God, in order to save ourselves. That's not good news at all. Because it can't be done. It cannot be done. I want you to imagine you're on a ship in the middle of the Pacific. And the ship gets caught in a typhoon and it begins to sink. And you find yourself in the water without a life vest. And the storm is raging around you. What do you want at that point? Do you want some good advice or do you want some good news? If there's someone in a lifeboat who sees you, do you want them to yell at you and shout out swimming lessons? Telling you how you can improve your technique? Or do you want them to say, hey, I see you, and I'm coming to get you. Now I'm going to pull you out of the water and put you in the lifeboat. 
Yeah, that's exactly what you want. You want good news. You don't want good advice because good advice isn't going to help. You're in the middle of the ocean. There's nowhere to swim to. You can't swim out of this one. You want good news, not good advice. When all the good advice in the world will not help you, what you desperately want is good news. You want someone who will do for you what you cannot do for yourself, and that's exactly what we have in the message of Jesus. That is exactly it. It's the good news about Jesus rescuing us from a desperate situation that we can't fix. That's why it's such good news. And that brings me to the second reason why this good news is the best news ever. (laughs) Because it's major news, not minor news. It's major news, not minor news. Let me state the obvious. Some news matters more than others, other news, right? I mean, there's things that are going to be in the news today, next week, and six months from now, a year from now, we won't even remember them. And there's other things that we will. Because some good news, some news is major, other news is minor. Let's say you're a, a parent, you've got young children, and you've left them with a babysitter to go uh, on a date with your spouse. And while you're on your date, you get a text from the babysitter. And the babysitter says, hey, just want you to know, your kids are getting along great. There's peace in the house. Good. That's good news. That's good news. But what if you got on your news feed, and why you're looking at your cell phone when you're on a date with your spouse, I don't know. But just go with me here. Okay, generally speaking, that's a bad idea. But let's say something happens, everybody's phone in the restaurant blows up, and you're going, what is this? And you find out there's a, a headline that there is now peace, real peace, in the Middle East. That all the major disagreements have finally been resolved. And all of the hostility has been resolved. And there's going to be no more fighting. Man, that would be even better news. Why? Because it's so much bigger. (laughs) So many more lives involved. So much happiness and sorrow at stake. So much at stake. Minor good news is good, but major good news is better. The message about Jesus is major good news. It's literally as major as news can be. I mean, and you can see it because what Jesus did for us, what he accomplished for us is nothing short of spectacular. You see it in the words, died and was raised. I mean, these words alone tell you we're not dealing with something trivial here. I mean, for someone to die for you, imagine there's a, you know, somebody pointing a gun at you, and just as they pull the trigger, somebody jumps in front of you and takes the bullet for you. I mean, that's as big as it gets to someone die for you. And to rise from the dead, that's beyond major. But there's two other words here. I want to point out that reveal just how much is at stake in what Jesus did. 
how major this was. It's the word saved in verse 2 and the word sins in verse 3. Now, if those sound like churchy words to you, it's totally understandable. But I want you to know, they, they mean so much more than just what happens within these walls on Sundays. Saved means being rescued from a life-threatening situation. So when I asked you to imagine being pulled out of the ocean after your ship had sunk in the middle, middle of the sea somewhere, that's the idea. That's the idea of saved. Some terrible thing threatens your life, threatens your happiness, and to be saved means to be rescued from that terrible thing. Which brings me to the word sin. Because that's the terrible, life-threatening, happiness-destroying thing that Jesus died to rescue us from. And sin is so much worse than we often think it is. So much worse. We, we typically think of sin, you know, like breaking one of God's rules. And whether it's a big deal or not kind of depends on how big of a deal we feel like that rule is. And we often, if we're honest, we don't think our sins are that big of a deal, at least not ours, maybe some other people's. Because, you know, just honestly, some of God's rules feel kind of arbitrary to us. Like it's just, you know, stuff that happens to annoy him. And if you, if you feel like that, hold on. Think of this. If sin were not a big deal, Jesus would not have died to free us from it. Okay, if, if sins are just things that annoy God, the death of Jesus was massive overkill. But that is not it at all. That's not it. Sin, by definition, is anything that violates the essential goodness of God. So sin is the opposite of what is loving, of what is wise, of what is right, of what is good. Sin is defying God. It, it's, it happens when we try to be God of our own lives and decide for ourselves what's good instead of believing the one who tells us what's good and always knows what's good. And we've all done that. We've all said, I know better in this situation. And we basically said, get lost, God. And I think a helpful thing to remember about sin is, sooner or later, it always hurts. Sooner or later, it always ruins. Sooner or later, it always destroys. And we make these choices apart from God, disregarding God, thinking we know best, we know best, and, and instead of those choices being life-giving, they end up being life-depriving, life-depleting. I want you to think about your life for a minute. Just think about your life, and I want you to think about things in your life that are painful 
for you. Because we all have some. Some may have more than others, but we've all got stuff in our life that's painful. Think about those things. You know, maybe relationships that are strained, even wrecked. People you love who are suffering. Promises that were broken. Hurtful words that were spoken that you can't seem to forget. Heartbreaking situations that you can't fix. Why is life like that? I'll tell you what Jesus' answer is. This is the answer he affirmed. That everything that's wrong, everything that's awful, everything that is destructive is ultimately the result of sin and its consequences. Now that's not to say, don't misunderstand, that's not to say that every typical or every bad thing in your life can be traced to some specific sin that you did. That, that's not it. But the point is, Sin has messed up everything, and we've all been involved in that, and it affects us all. Sin is literally killing us. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all, Man, what a big word that is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, sin earns a wage, and the wage is Death. Why? Why death? It's simple. Because sin has disconnected us from God who is the source of life. This is the terrible thing we need to be rescued from. Separation from God. Separation from the, the only one who can give us true, lasting peace and joy and purpose for our lives and the only one who can give us life that endures beyond the grave. And you're going to stand there one day, maybe many times, as someone you love is gone and someone's going to stand by your grave someday. It's going to happen. We need life. And one day Jesus said this, he was standing by the tomb of his friend who had just died a couple days before. And he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Not really. He said that. So this is the good news, that Jesus, the Son of God, died in our place and rose from the dead to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, remove all, all the guilt for our sin, and to overcome the separation and unite us in an eternal life-giving relationship with the God who made us and loves us. He did everything necessary to solve your biggest problem. He did everything necessary to meet your deepest need. Mine too. That's major. <laughs> that is major. That's a major reason to see this good news as the best news ever. One more. This news is the best news ever because 
it's real news, not fake news. <laughs> it's real news, not fake news. Fake news is a big topic of discussion these days. Do you know, it's, it's really not anything new. Maybe it gets spread around more easily these days. But it's really not a new thing. Years ago, I got an email warning me about the dangers. Brace yourself. Warning me about the dangers of bananas. I'm not kidding. I got this email <laughs> saying, quote, bananas from Costa Rica have been infected with necrotizing fasciitis, otherwise known as flesh-eating bacteria. Well, that's bad news. <laughs> and, and based on the bad news, here's the advice. I was advised not to buy any bananas until the situation was resolved. Because necrotizing fasciitis can lead to amputation and even death. I mean, that's bad news. The only problem is the news was absolutely fake. It wasn't true at all. And you know, it's bad enough to scare people for no reason, to give people banana phobia. <laughs> that's bad enough. But in all seriousness, imagine the impact that that, if that really got out there and was believed, imagine the impact that that would have on the livelihood of people who depend on selling bananas especially from some of the poorest countries in the world. I mean, that's terrible. And get this, this is the worst part. The email says that if you suspect you have, <laughs> I can hardly say it, it's so funny, a banana-related infection. <laughs> that's hilarious. If you suspect you have a banana-related infection, quote, Burning the flesh is advised <laughs> to keep this infection from spreading. Fake news is bad news. It's bad. But you know what may be the biggest problem of all with fake news? It makes us cynical about any news. Even good news that's true. So when it comes to the message of Jesus, this incredible message that he died for our sins and he rose from the dead, how are we supposed to believe that in a world of fake news? Now, how do we know that's not fake? And you know what? It's as if Paul the Apostle anticipated this moment and this dilemma because he knew this message was outrageous. He knew that. He knew this is way outside of normal experience. I mean, we're talking about a one-of-a-kind person, Messiah, Son of God, doing a one-of-a-kind thing, dying in our place and rising from the dead. And Paul's saying, yeah, it happened. It actually happened. And so to convince us it really happened, he backs it up with the kind of evidence you and I use every day to establish the truth of something we did not see for ourselves. And that is eyewitness testimony of someone who did see it. We use this in courtrooms. We use it in history books. We use it in newspapers. We use it every day 
to know if something really happened or not. We do this all the time. Do you realize that most of the things that you believe are true, historically, you believe that because somebody told you who you consider reliable? And so Paul brings forth a parade of reliable witnesses who saw with their own eyes Jesus alive. Peter, fisherman. The twelve, those who knew Jesus best. When he was put to death, they all scattered. They all thought, that's it. They didn't believe what he predicted about rising from the dead. A group of 500, 500, who saw Jesus alive at the same time. James, the other apostles, and last but not least, Paul himself. He says, I saw him too. And then he, he adds this. He says, you know, if you're not convinced, most of these people are still alive, go and ask them, they'll tell you. And these were people who had absolutely nothing to gain by spreading fake news. Zero to gain. Most of them got into big trouble with the authorities for, for spreading this news when the authorities were trying to, you know, quench it. Some of them were arrested and some of them were even put to death, including Paul. Now think about that for a minute. You're there, you're, you're standing before the executioner, and they say, okay, one last chance. Admit that this story about Jesus rising from the dead is fake and will spare your life. Otherwise, you're dead. And none of them changed the story. They said, I'm not going to change it because it really happened. I really saw him. Now, think about that. You know, it, it's true that someone might die for a lie that they believe is true. But who is going to die for a lie they know is a lie? And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, these people knew that. They knew they were spreading fake news, and yet they insisted it really happened. Now, you could say, somebody might well say, well, okay, well, that doesn't prove it's true. It's an interesting thing about proof. Proof is a very personal thing. When someone says prove it, what it means is prove it to me. Convince me. And so the question really becomes, what would it take to convince you? What would it take to convince you that Abraham Lincoln actually signed the Emancipation Proclamation? What would it take to convince you that there's a guy named Alexander the Great who established one of the greatest, biggest empires of the world by the time he was 30 years old? What would it take to convince you that George Washington really was the first president of the United States? You didn't see any of those things. And nobody can prove those things in the sense of mathematical proof. What do you do? You look at the historical evidence, you look at the, the witnesses, and you, you decide. And you know what's a troubling fact? The troubling fact is many people who regard Christ's resurrection as fake news have never actually bothered to do that. But what if it really happened? What if it really happened? What if it really is the best news ever? I'm convinced 
I know many in this room are convinced. What do you do with that news if you become convinced? Well, if the message of Jesus really is the best news ever, the thing to do, okay, this is the good advice part, make the best decision ever. Decide to respond. Let's go back to my cancer diagnosis for a minute. When the doctor gave me the bad news, he said, now, there is a treatment for this, and it's effective. And he described it to me, how researchers had developed this, they'd done this thing that I couldn't do, they developed this remedy that could heal me, that was the good news. Now I had a decision to make, how am I going to respond to that good news? Would I receive the remedy Or would I refuse it? It was up to me. Everybody in this room has that same decision to make with the good news of Jesus. The remedy that Jesus offers us, the cure for our deadly separation from God, The remedy that he alone brought about through his death for sin and his rising from the dead, that's the good news. Will we receive it or will we refuse it? Well, what does receiving it look like? I want you to look again at the first couple of verses. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brothers, the good news which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Look how those words interact. They experienced being saved, Paul says, being rescued from their deadly separation from God by receiving the good news, welcoming it, by taking their stand upon it, by holding fast to it, and by believing it. And when you put those four things together, you're obviously talking about much more than simply mental agreement. There are a lot of people who mentally agree with the good news about Jesus, and they're probably in churches all around the world today. There are lots of people who mentally agree with the good news, with the facts, but it makes absolutely no difference in their life. That's not what this is talking about. See, they they haven't received it. They haven't welcomed it. They haven't taken their stand on it. They haven't held fast to it. They haven't really believed it in the sense the Bible talks about belief. In other words, they haven't trusted it. What the Bible calls faith means relying on. Relying on Jesus to make you right with God, to overcome that separation between you and God, instead of taking your chances by relying on yourself and what you can do. One of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 3.16, says, God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, 
trusts in, chooses to rely on him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. To believe in him is to put your trust in him. See, that's the link. That's the link between Jesus offering you the remedy and you having the remedy. Choosing to trust him enough to receive it, to receive him. You have to decide. Well, how do you do that practically? According to the Bible, you ask him. You ask him. So Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is Jesus, will be saved. So call him and say, Lord, save me. There's a story uh, of Jesus walking on water. You've probably heard that. And then Peter says, hey, Lord, if it's really you, have me come out too. And he says, okay, come on out. And he comes, and then he panics, and he looks down, and he starts to sink. And then you have one of the greatest, briefest prayers in all the Bible. Lord, save me. That's what it means, call on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. I'm going down. I can't fix it. Help. Do you want the remedy that he offers? Then ask him for it and receive it. And in just a moment, we're going to pray, and you can do that if you want to. Now, I'm, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass anybody. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand or stand up, or we're going to shine a spotlight or do some other weird thing. Not going to put any pressure on anybody, but if you want to, in just a moment, I'm going to have us be quiet, and you can ask him. You can call on his name and receive the remedy that he himself will bring to you. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to make it real for you. He will. And he will begin you on a journey that will, well, it's a whole new way of living. Living in life-giving relationship with the God who made you. It changes, it changes things. And so maybe you'd say, well, I need to talk to somebody first. Maybe you got questions. That's fine. You can talk to me. You can talk to the person you came with. You can talk to anybody you saw up here on the stage. You can talk to someone who looks like they know what they're talking about. <laughs> you get on that, there's a connect card in your folder. And you can just write on there, I want to talk to somebody about this. I want to talk to somebody about receiving Christ's remedy. I want to... I want to talk to somebody. As you put that on there, and we'll, we'll follow up with that. Or maybe you want prayer. You say, would, would you please pray for me? About whatever, but especially if it's about this, we'd be happy to pray for you. But I just want to say this. If, you're, if, you're, if you know, <laughs> if you're ready to respond to this good news, then I encourage you not to put it off. Receive the remedy Jesus offers. Just ask him for it when we pray. And just say something like, Lord, I know, I know I've sinned. I know I'm guilty. I know I'm separated from you. Lord, make what you did on that cross, make what you did when you rose from that, and make it real for me. Please, save me. And he will. Let's, let, I'm going to have you bow your heads. And I am just going to be quiet for a minute or so.
And you pray about whatever you want. If you're here today and you've already put your faith in Jesus and received him, and pray for those maybe who are here who haven't, thank him. And if you want to ask him for his remedy, you can do it right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this good news. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do. Thank you for dying in our place and rising from the dead. Thank you for offering us this eternal life with you. Lord, I, I just pray that all of us who are here today will get it, Lord. And we'll decide to trust you, God. Please overcome whatever objections or concerns or arrogance is in our heart. And Lord, bring us to you. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.